Our sister and yarn performances, mm -hmm. I think, are really one of the best value. The general admission ticket prices are on the low end, really starting at that 35 um, price point. And it's just the most glorious venue. It's, great, it's at yeah. nighttime, the trees, the lights, it's really, really magical. Jenny Willette is part of the team that brings Spoleto Festival USA to life each year in Charleston, and she's my guest today. Welcome to Now Charleston. I'm Sam Spence. It's Monday, May 23rd. Now Charleston takes a look at a handful of issues three times a week and tells you why they're important. I hope you had a good weekend. Here we go to start off another week, just a few days until the holiday weekend for Memorial Day. So let's take a look at a few Monday headlines. The Republican primary in the 1st District is kicking into high gear, with just a few weeks left before voters pick between Nancy Mace, Katie Arrington, and maybe a few other candidates. A look at the changing dynamic of downtown rentals. And after Target opened on King Street, some historical perspective. Those stories in my interview with Ginny Willette, starting now. But first, Charleston Mayor John Tecklenburg said Sunday he's isolating after testing positive for COVID-19. He said he's thankful to be vaccinated and boosted and reported only mild head cold-like symptoms before uh, getting tested uh, to start with. He'll he said he'll conduct Tuesday's city council and committee meetings remotely, according to a statement. One of South Carolina's most hotly contested primaries between Congresswoman Nancy Mace and former state rep Katie Arrington is in the home stretch, with three weeks tomorrow until Election Day. The race, as we expected, has a lot to do with former President Donald Trump. Mace, the incumbent, is betting that some significant number of Republicans in the state are turned off by Trump, but still want to support a Republican. Arrington, on the other hand, is Trump's endorsed candidate, so she's kind of a ride-or-die with the former president. One thing that's become an issue here that's a little tough for Arrington is the saga over her uh, security clearance when she worked at the Department of Defense. After she was appointed by Trump, a supposed incident involving her handling sensitive information caused her security clearance to be suspended. Mace has said on the, on the campaign trail that her, her clearance was revoked, and that's kind of triggered a little bit of a back and forth. Um, but because Arrington and the Department of Defense are still in legal disputes over the whole thing, she eventually settled the initial conflict. Uh, they, the department, hasn't corroborated any of her version of the events of how exactly the thing happened. Um, the best source she has to go on is word of an anonymous staffer that she worked with that has submitted these kind of sworn statements to the press. In any case, voters will start heading to the polls next week after the holiday for early voting, so time is running out for the candidates to make their pitches. Links to uh, a story about the security clearance from the Associated Press and a posting career profile of both candidates from the weekend at nowcharleston.com. An interesting story from the Posting Courier over the weekend looked at the changing dynamics of rental properties downtown, uh, looking at one particular set of properties off St. Philip Street that used to be used for long-term rentals for college students that are now being, that are now being converted into short-term rentals. Now, this is a change that's been in progress all over Cannonboro, Elliottboro. Um, it was a pilot district uh, and has since kind of solidified as the only place downtown that allows short-term rentals uh, with no owner on site over a significant of any significant scale. Um, the way the story portrays it, these college rentals off St. Philip um, in subdivided historical houses were becoming less popular with the rise of college-oriented high-rise housing 
and all the amenities that those have. Uh, the owners, the Bennett family of Hotel Bennett and a handful of King Street restaurants told the Post and Courier that rents were dropping for units like those. But that's all kind of relative for that area. If you look at the area, that's all almost all short-term rentals now. Uh, if you can get well over $100 per night per bedroom, um, that's on the low side of what Airbnb's downtown charged last time I looked, then yeah, the rental income is going to be lower than whatever you're charging, like $1,500 per bedroom per month or whatever you're charging um, college kids. Uh, I mean, I remember paying 500 bucks a month when I lived in, in for my room when I lived on Percy Street downtown. This is a challenge all cities have had to deal with um, as, housing afford, as housing affordability remains such an issue, but especially here in Charleston. It's also part of why short-term rentals um, aren't allowed elsewhere in the city without a permit. On the face of it, it's easy to say the properties are remaining rentals. Um, so what's the big difference, but there is a difference in between transient, uh, short-term rentals with people changing multiple times a week and long-term rentals. Even if they're college kids, they still walk around the neighborhood every day. Uh, they become the faces and, and the landscape of the neighborhood. Um, even if they do move in and out every six months or a year or so. But anyway, if you haven't ridden through Canterbury, Elliotboro in the past few years, you should, and take a look and see how it's changed over the past 10 years. There's a short-term rental economy in place, and it's completely shifted the, the dynamic. You can link to that story at nowcharleston.com. On the subject of the dynamics of downtown, posting career columnist Brian Hicks had a column over the weekend looking at how Target downtown at King and Market could be seen as a hearkening back to the old days on King Street when five and dime stores and department stores could be found at various places up and down the retail street and nearby. King Street certainly does have a long history of being a retail hub for locals, which is part of what Target pitched when they um, announced their opening. Now, obviously, King Street has changed a lot, uh, as have the areas around it. But a lot of people still do live downtown. And for the folks who this store is convenient for, it definitely could enhance their quality of life. At least one longtime uh, shop owner that I talked to a year ago or so, uh, after King, after Target announced their opening on King Street, said he hoped that uh, having the anchor store there would attract more people to shop in the area generally, uh, including at locally owned stores. But locally owned places also contribute to the character of a place, and that's not always a sure thing with the conveniences places like Target can provide. By the way, if you're headed to Target, consider walking or riding your bike, or get up one of those new line bikes. Um, if you can put whatever you're buying in a backpack or a bag or something like that, It'll be cheaper and easier than uh, parking in that garage there, the one on Market Street there. One thing that's different than the yesteryear Brian Hicks is talking about, though, is the amount of choice that we have as consumers to buy what we want from where we want. Um, yes, there were department stores on King Street at one time, but the convenience of mega stores like Target and Walmart and eventually Amazon, but the further down the road than the King Street stores, uh, won out over people making smaller trips to stores nearby. Convenience is one thing, and we'll see how this Target store works out downtown. But I think we can all do better about uh, make, being more intentional with where we buy and how we buy things uh, that aren't got to have essentials um, and try to steer toward local places when you can. Jenny Willette is on the Split and Marketing team, which helps get the word out about the annual festival that attracts world-class artistic talent to Charleston for a few weeks each year. This year's festival starts on Friday, May 27th, and runs through June 12th. It includes the world premiere of one Spoleto-commissioned opera, Omar, and a slew of other performances that you'll only find during Spoleto. Jenny Willett, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. 
So we're sitting here in the Spoleto offices uh, on May 17th, um, the week before the festival opens. Yep. Uh, and uh, just wanted to have a chat real quick about kind of what people can expect. You know, Spoleto is back this year. So what do you think? Is, is, is there any themes that you think are overriding the festival this year compared to others? Well, that's a great question. Spoleto is definitely back. It is a full, full-fledged festival. There are three operas, 120 performances over these 17 days, so it's very compact. I'd say similarly, similarly to previous festivals, we don't have necessarily an overarching theme. I would say there are certain threads that weave in and out of performances throughout the 17 days. Certainly, um, Omar, our world premiere opera, is our centerpiece main stage opera, and so many touch points flow through that. Um, but I wouldn't say certain themes. I mean, we, we want audiences to come and make their own decisions about how they feel about a, a certain work. Yeah. And Omar was supposed to be in the festival in 2020, right? Correct. Correct. Um, and then was put off that year and then last year, and here we are. And that is, uh, I don't know, give people an idea of what they can expect if they have tickets to Omar or if they want to see Omar. Sure. Omar is a major opera. Um, the music is composed by Rhiannon Giddens and Michael Abels. Um, Rhiannon wrote the libretto, the, the script of the mm-hmm. opera, the, the song lyrics. Um, this opera is a true Charleston story. It's a, a story of Africa, a story of the American South. Um, Omar Ibn Said was a man from the Fudatoro region in, in what's now Senegal. Um, he was captured in 1807 and brought to Charleston through Gadsden's Wharf. He was enslaved here in Charleston. Somehow he made it to Fayetteville, North Carolina. He uh, fled the, the plantation in Charleston. He was thrown in jail uh, and then purchased again by uh, James Owen. And in 1831, he wrote an autobiography um, of his life up until that point, he was in his 60s. Um, and it's the only known surviving autobiography written by a person still enslaved. Uh, but it was written in Arabic, um, which, and it was a strong, strongly, piece, strong piece of resistance, really. Um, many phrases come directly from the Quran. Uh, but because it was written in Arabic, it was untouched and unedited by the, by the Owens family. Um, and, you know, when Omar was captured in Fudatoro, he was 37 and a scholar. Um, he was a religious scholar. Uh, so this opera traces his spiritual journey and the path that he, he took um, or was forced to take, really. And I know that um, it's been a long time coming for yes. Omar. And <laughs> I've seen... Rhiannon Giddens has been in town. They're rehearsing. Everybody's in town rehearsing all the shows mm-hmm. uh, coming up. Um, one other change, I guess, this year is the festival has a new director. Correct. Right? Yeah. Uh, Mina Marcana uh, joined us this fall, um, and it's been great having him in town. He um, lives here in Charleston, which is certainly um, a new change for us having the director here full time, and he's really you know, immersing himself in the Charleston community. Saw him last week at the Best of Charleston party. Didn't get to say hello, but saw him. <laughs> That's um, right. 
Uh, one thing I'll say about um, Spoleto that differentiates it from, I mean, a lot differentiates it from other arts offerings you can find in Charleston is that there's so much, so much influence from uh, international works and international performers, international companies that all kind of converge on Charleston, mm -hmm. uh, unlike any other time during the year. So it's a unique opportunity for people in Charleston to be able, if they haven't gone to any Spoleto performances, to be able to be exposed to some different stuff they don't usually get the rest of the year. Absolutely. This year, I would say about 30 to 40 percent of our artists are from outside of the United States. Um, we have a pianist from South Africa, Deduzo Makatini, here on May 30th at the Cistern. So a beautiful, beautiful jazz uh, music in that venue, mm -hmm. which is just an experience like no other. So I would recommend certainly getting tickets to see that. Um, we have a Cuban dance company, Malpaso Dance Company. Um, our theater, one of our main theater productions at the Dock Street is The Approach, and, and that's a th it's by Landmark Productions, and they're coming from Ireland. Um, and there's more. So, yes, very international. Yeah, and it's also a chance for people to kind of maybe uh, attend an event in a venue they don't usually get to go to. So um, we've got the Gilliard, which is back mm -hmm. this year, and then uh, Dock Street Theater, which is a kind of a... Uh, workhorse venue, yep. I guess, for the festival. Um, there are outdoor shows in Cistern Yard at the College mm -hmm. of Charleston. And then back for the first time this year, right, is Satoli Theater on King Street. That's right. Um, and which has undergone a big transformation and it's the first time it's being used as a main stage for Spoleta. Yeah, the first time since its renovations, absolutely. Um, we have all of our dance productions there and Omar. Um, new venue this year is Firefly Distillery, our finale mm -hmm. this year. Um, a finale's back, which is exciting, yeah. fireworks and all, um, up in, in North Charleston at Firefly, so we are thrilled for that. Um, That's Shaky Graves. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that, that'll be a good show, too, up in North Charleston. If you had to pick uh, a couple different shows, maybe like an opera, a musical, and like a dance or a theater show for people to see, um, what would you direct people toward right now? For shows that are still available, right? Yeah. Sure. There, there is a lot of availability for many shows. Um, if I had to choose, I would certainly check out either La Boheme or Unholy Wars. Those are our operas. Uh, mm -hmm. La Boheme would be a great opera for someone new to opera. Mm -hmm. um, I think when I hear La Boheme or opera, I think of like a four-hour engagement. And really, this opera... Uh, Yuval Sharon, the director, has flipped it on its head. So even if you don't know the original story, um, hint, hint, it's Rent. Uh, mm, yeah. But it, uh, if it's flipped backwards, so it starts in sort of a dark place. It ends in this really beautiful light place. But it's a 90-minute performance, really, from start to finish. No intermission, just sort of flows right through. Um, I would absolutely get tickets to see Until the Flood by Dale Orlander Smith. This is a a play, a one-woman play, and she plays eight different characters um, based on true conversations that she had with people in Ferguson, Missouri. Um, dance performance. I, I'm very excited for Reggie Wilson, uh, Fist and Heel Performance Group. Uh, they're based out of Brooklyn, and this performance, um, Reggie is someone who goes to the archives and the libraries and and the communities that on which his pieces are based, and this is an exploration of uh, true, historically true, black Shaker communities in the 1800s, hmm. led by women. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, I'm going to spring one on you. A lot of these shows that uh, that are 
programmed and displayed for for a long time are are pretty expensive, right? Like, what would you say are mm. what would you say is a good value for somebody who is looking for maybe who who can't, you know, spring for a, a big big show or a big ticket or whatever, sure. um, but then maybe wants to attend a show? What do you think is a good value for somebody right now? Well, our ticket prices start at thirty-five dollars. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Th- no, there definitely are some <laughs> some more affordable options, yeah. but they do also go pretty high sometimes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, our sister and yarn performances, mm-hmm. I think, are really one of the best value. The general admission ticket prices are on the low end, really starting at that thirty-five um, price point, and it's just the most glorious venue. It's, great, it's at yeah. nighttime. The trees, the lights. It's really, really magical. Um, so I think if I were brand new to the festival, in fact, that's probably the first festival show I saw um, when I first moved to Charleston uh, was a, a Cistern Yard uh, performance. And now I work here. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, I, I think um, probably the same for me. I, I think I saw, or I definitely saw John Baptiste there a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And then just getting to see a show outside is a great opportunity anyway downtown because they're I'm trying to think, are there any other outdoor venues, except for like the baseball stadium, uh, outdoor venues downtown? I mean, and last mm-hmm. year you had the dance uh, right. stage set up outside, which was pretty special. But yeah, at the cistern yard, I mean, you can't get much better uh, scenery than that out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so every year also, as the festival's going on, you start hearing buzz about kind of, you've got to see this one because there's only mm-hmm. so many shows left. What do you think that's going to, what do you, what show do you think that's going to be this year? Like you need to make sure you get, or as it approaches, you need to make sure you have tickets to go see this if you can't get them. The approach, this is a, a U.S. premiere. I think the, U, the, the approach will be that performance. Um, it's a little more subdued, a subtle conversation on stage between three women. Um, but I think it's a, it's a thinker. It will be something that people walk away with in talking about and the conversations that people have surrounding this uh, theater production. Uh, will make it that hit that you have to get tickets to see it. All right, so if folks are still looking for tickets, uh, the festival runs May 27th through June 12th, so starts this week. Uh, where can people find tickets and learn more? SpilettoUSA.org. Great. Thanks, Jenny, for joining me. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you today. If you have feedback for the show, you can leave a voice message at 843-474-1319 or email sam at nowcharleston.com. You can rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Uh, that's a big help also. And as always, check nowcharleston.com for links and notes from today's show. And to make sure you don't miss anything, follow twitter.com slash nowcharleston and instagram.com slash nowcharleston. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back on Wednesday with the next Now Charleston.